Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. All right, let me pray for us and we're going to jump right into Scripture this morning. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to gather, Lord, and and to uh, praise your name, to worship you, Father, to pray. Uh, Lord, just acknowledge you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And, and Lord, I pray for our time together now as we open up the truth of your word. Speak to us through it very clearly, Lord. Help us to hear from you. Help us to uh, be challenged in our faith, challenged in our walk. And as we pray every Sunday, Father, may we be transformed as our study more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles open to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, if you did not bring your Bibles with us, there's one right in front of you. You can grab one of those. That uh, black book is a Bible. You're welcome to take that home with you if you don't have one. We're on page 849 this morning in that Bible, Mark chapter 13. And as you're finding Mark chapter 13, let me just kind of catch you up a little bit. Summer's an exciting time for us. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of activities. We've had a lot of mission opportunities this summer, sent teams to Zambia already, India already. We have another uh, trip scheduled to India here in just several weeks. Uh, there's a team in Alaska right now, team to New York will be leaving this week. We're going to commission them at the end of the service. Camp Viola starts today. If you're still interested in that, you can serve right here in LaGrange. We'd love to plug you in there. Rockridge just finished up on Thursday. Philip mentioned in the beginning of the video there were 13 salvations. At that point, there were. We ended up with 24 salvations last week at Rockridge, which is phenomenal. Yeah, <clears throat> praise the Lord. God's doing uh, just exciting things at our church. Summer used to be a time off, I think. Now, I think it's the busiest time of year. There's a lot of things going on, but we love it up here and are excited to be part of it and are excited to continue our study this morning. Uh, if you're new with us or haven't been in a while, we're walking through the book of Mark just chapter by chapter, oftentimes verse by verse, trying to understand the life of Christ, trying to understand who he was, be challenged in our faith, to grow in our walk. And so we've kind of studied through the portion of Mark, the first 10 chapters that cover really the first two and a half years or so of his ministry, beginning in verse 11 and following all through, through chapter 16 is the last week. So Mark spent about 10 chapters talking about two and a half years. He's going to spend 11 through 16 talking about the last week. And so several weeks ago, we were in Mark chapter 11 and we saw the triumphal entry. And I wanted to kind of catch you up and bring you up to speed a little bit about where we've been so we can kind of understand where we're going. Jesus has walked into Jerusalem for the final time. In Mark 13, he's, he's in the final week of his life. He's already cursed the fig tree. We talked about that several weeks ago. Cleansed the temple. Jeremy preached out of Mark chapter 12 the last two weeks, especially the greatest commandment in verses 30 and 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so today we move into Mark chapter 13. And Mark chapter 13 is a little bit different. In fact, Mark chapter 13, some have argued, is the most difficult chapter in Mark Some believe it might be one of the most difficult chapters in the Gospels. The reason it's so difficult is Jesus is going to talk about the end times. And you're going to hear things this morning as we read through this and work work through this together. Things like the destruction of the temple and earthquakes and nation rising against nation and the abomination of desolation and the tribulation. These are difficult things for us to understand. In fact, one scholar said it like this. This is one of the most perplexing chapters in the Bible to understand for readers and interpreters alike. Now, some of y'all are excited at this moment. I, I get kind of regularly people asking me when I'm going to preach through the book of Revelation. No time soon, FYI. There's a lot in there. 
And you get excited because we hear about end times and when we have questions like, well, when are the end times going to begin and what's the tribulation going to be like and is the Antichrist alive now, right? And we, we like to discuss these things and, and think through these things and these are interesting topics for us to cover. So I just want to kind of go ahead and address this right up front before we get into Mark chapter 13. I'm not going to answer any of those questions for you this morning, none of them. I'm not going to tell you when the end times are going to begin. I'm not going to tell you who the Antichrist is. I'm not going to tell you exactly when the tribulation is going to start. And the reason I'm not going to answer it is because Jesus doesn't answer it. In fact, I believe, the more I've studied Mark chapter 13 and and, and thought more about the end times, I believe that sometimes we get so caught up in the when that we miss the teaching of the present. We get so caught up in who the Antichrist is going to be and when is it going to happen and how is it going to affect me that we forget that we're still living in the here and now. And I think that's the message of Mark chapter 13 because Jesus makes this interesting comment at the end of the chapter. So I'm going to fast forward very quickly to Mark chapter 13 verse 32. I think we have it on the screen. I want you to notice what Jesus says towards the end of the chapter that will help us kind of build the foundation as we start back in the beginning of the chapter together. Mark chapter 13 Verse 32, Jesus has spent 31 verses talking about the destruction of the temple and the tribulation and the coming of Christ. And then he says in verse 32, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. You know, if you ever uh, kind of follow somebody that tells you they know exactly when the end times are going to be and exactly when Jesus is coming back, I would say to you that's not true because Christ says nobody knows. The angels don't know. Jesus himself doesn't know. We certainly don't know. And so we kind of come to this point in Mark chapter 13, as we're going to see in just a few minutes, if we say, really, it's not our responsibility to know when the end times are going to occur. It's not our responsibility to know exactly who the Antichrist is. It's not our responsibility to figure these things out. Then what's the significance of Mark chapter 13? Here, here's kind of the main idea I want you to get this morning. We don't know exactly when the end times are going to occur or the details of the end times, but here's the main idea of Mark chapter 13, I believe. We better be ready when they do occur. Let me just say that again. We better be ready when they do occur. Like it may start tomorrow. It may start at lunch. It may start in 20 years. It may be well after we're all dead and gone. But we need, in Mark chapter 13, according to the teachings of Christ, we need to be ready and prepared and alert. So when the time comes, we're ready. One writer explained it like this, the purpose of the end times discourse in Mark 13 is not primarily to provide a timetable or a blueprint for the future, so much as it is to exhort readers to faithful discipleship in the present. God gave us Mark 13 so we would remain faithful. Jesus will return to visibly claim his throne in glory before the watching world. He will come again and judge between the righteous and the wicked, the living and the dead. And we who are his are called to be ready. That's the main theme of the whole chapter, watchfulness. And so I want to set aside the desire to figure out who and when and what and the the details of the end times. And I instead want to focus on what Christ is going to focus on this morning. Your daily walk with him, being sure that if it does happen tomorrow, you're ready. So Mark chapter 13, let's just jump right in, beginning in verse 1. We have it on the screen for you as well. And he, this is Jesus, 
came out of the temple, right? He's been teaching in the temple. He comes out of the temple with his followers. And one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings, right? And they're looking at the temple, the temple compound and the structure. Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. Isn't it interesting that really from the beginning people have wondered when? (laughs) Isn't it interesting from the beginning people have looked for a sign? Verse 5, look at how Jesus answers this. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. Let's stop there. Let me me kind of pull out a truth and then think through it together. Number one, this is true in the first century. It's still true today. Don't be led astray from the teaching of Christ. One of the clearest warnings we find in this scripture is Jesus commanding his followers, do not be led astray. Now, Jesus has just walked out of the temple. He's been teaching his disciples. He's been thinking about the temple, and he makes this interesting comment. The disciples say, look, Jesus, at the beautiful structure of the temple. And Jesus says, listen, you need to understand that not one stone is going to be left upon another. Now, we understand from history that in 70 AD, the Romans do, in fact, destroy the temple in Jerusalem. So Jesus is kind of making this prediction of exactly what's going to happen, and he does it in front of a building that at that point at least would seem almost impossible to destroy because the temple was massive. I've got some numbers here that will probably surprise some of you. As you think about the temple structure and and its prominence in Jerusalem, it measured 325 meters by 500 meters long with a circumference all the way around of nearly a mile. The immense 35-acre enclosure could accommodate 12 football fields. The southeast corner of the retaining wall was 15 stories above the ground. Josephus, in his writings of the Jewish people, said that some of the blocks were 60 feet in length. That's incredible. A 60-foot-long block. I mean, to those people at that time, the temple was just incredible. It was massive and it was beautiful and it was powerful. And the idea that it could be destroyed would be impossible. But Jesus said, listen, you need to understand that at some point in the future, not one stone is going to be left upon another. And the disciples do what so many of us do. I just, I just think this is so applicable to today. Jesus kind of paints this picture about what's going to happen. And the disciples say in verse 4, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Now, we probably don't live our lives asking Jesus about the temple anymore, but we ask him a lot of things with the same thought in mind, right? Like, when, Jesus, are these things going to change? Like, when am I going to get well, Jesus? We ask that question. When am I going to be past this sickness? Lord, when when are things at work going to be better? When, Jesus? Can you give me a sign? When are are things in my home going to improve? Like, when is my marriage going to get better? Like, when, when, when? We get so caught up in the future, we get so caught up in looking ahead and wondering when Jesus is going to change things that we forget to live in the present. You understand that? 
these disciples get caught up. Jesus, when is this going to happen? When are the end times going to take place? When is the temple going to be destroyed? What are the signs? And I love how Jesus answers this. Pull up verse 5 if you would for me, please. They were asking him, when, when, when? When is it going to happen? And instead of addressing the when, Jesus kind of gets to the heart of what they're asking. He says to them, look, see that no one leads you astray. Isn't that interesting how these guys ask one question and Jesus really answers in a very different way? Jesus says, listen, it's not really about you wondering when. Don't get caught up in the future and what might one day happen. Live in the present and be sure that no one is going to lead you astray. Man, I think these are great words for us still to live by because believe it or not, and and I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, we live in a world that desires to lead us astray. Did you know that? We live in a world that desires to lead us astray. I just had the opportunity of returning from India, and we led a team over there, and we go to India four or five times a year. We got another team going in several weeks. If you want to go one day, I'd love to send you. I'm happy to pray with you, work with you through that process. But when we go to India, we do really cool things. We teach local believers and local pastors, and so we'll just sit in a room. We'll go to a house. We'll sit in the house for 10, 12, 14 hours sometimes during the day and just teach these local believers. But the thing that just always is startling to me, and I know it's going to happen, and I'm trying to prepare my heart for it, but the thing that's so startling to me is the lostness in India. 1.3, 1.4 billion people, less than 2% Christians. And you walk around India, and it's just a completely different world, like the sights and the sounds and the smells. And we had an opportunity this particular trip to to do a little bit something different. Uh, the, The partners that we work with are moving. They're going to a brand new area. And so we kind of split our team in half. One team went back to the city that we've worked in in the past, and they did training. I was part of the other team that went with our partners there and to go to the new city to kind of learn about the city. They were brand new. They wanted to learn about it. They wanted to kind of research it. So we spent a lot of time walking the streets of the city, talking to local people, walking through temples, prayer walking, trying to get to know what's going on and get a sense of what's happening in that city. And I thought, you know, it would be very interesting uh, to to show you a couple things. And I'm not going to bore you with an entire slideshow of my trip to India, but I've got three or four pictures I want you to see because I want you to experience and understand the lostness and the struggle of these people, right? Because we live oftentimes in, in kind of the Western world in a bubble. And we hear numbers like you know, hundreds of millions of people and uh, very few of them know Christ. And we hear the, the truth that very few of them have ever heard the name of Jesus. But it's difficult for us sometimes to see it and to grasp it and to really experience it. So I'm going to show you just a few pictures just to give you a sense of what happened while we were there. Hinduism, of course, is the biggest religion there. And again, this whole idea is the idea that people have been led astray. There are 1.3 or 4 billion people in India. Over a billion of them are Hindu. Now, Hinduism believes in multiple gods, right? They're, they're polytheistic. Some people estimate that there are over 330 million. I didn't misstate that. 330 million gods in Hinduism. And so you go into anybody's house there or any place of business, and there's a little shrine, a little box, and I always play the dumb uh, American. I play the dumb uh, uh, visitor. You know, I don't know anything. I'm just a tourist. What's the box for? I know full well what it is. But I ask because it begins a conversation. Well, this is the God that we worship, right? Everybody's got a different God, different God for certain reasons, and, the re- reasons, and there's like a little uh, incense burning there or a candle or a flower or a little food they've put there. And they're interested in hearing about Jesus, 
Because Jesus is just another God to them. In fact, they'll have good conversations about Jesus. It's when you get to the exclusivity. Like Jesus is the only God. Jesus is the only way that they struggle. But you, you walk those cities and everywhere you go, there are temples and there are shrines and there are people worshiping. And they go down to the river and they bathe in the river and they do certain rituals in order to cleanse their sins they believe. Right? It's just lostness. Like hundreds of millions of people have been deceived. They've been led astray. You understand that? One of the things we got to do this time that was very interesting, we, we, we went to Bodh Gaya. Pull that first slide up, if you would, for me, please. This is the place where Buddha supposedly was enlightened about 2,000 years ago. And Buddha sat under, this is, they say, the grandson of the original tree. So the original tree, they took a, a little sapling off, planted it in Sri Lanka hundreds of years ago. They've taken a sapling from it and brought it back to the original place. So they say this is the grandson of the original tree. Buddha supposedly sat here and was enlightened. And so you go to this place, and Buddhism is about meditation. It's about recognizing that there are bad things in the world and kind of freeing ourselves through meditation of the bad things of the world. Eventually, they believe reaching nirvana, right? which is you kind of done away with the evils of the world. And so people sit all along these grounds and in this temple and around this tree, and they just kind of meditate. Right? And little leaves fall from the tree. It's very interesting. A little leaf will fall, and a Buddhist monk will run by and pick it up, and they collect those leaves. So our team got a leaf each. I brought a leaf home. Not because I feel like it has some sort of a significance. It's just a tree. But I wanted to be mindful of their struggle. And I want to frame it and put it in my study. And every time I see it, I want to be reminded to pray for these people that have been led astray. By the hundreds of millions. you understand that? Go to the next slide. There's a picture of a, a Buddha. One of the largest sitting Buddhas in the world. Very beautiful place. People come there on pilgrimage. Buddhists from all over the world will come to this place. It's a holy city for them. We got to sit in on a little worship service. They'll take children in these very impoverished areas who don't have family, don't have food, don't have any chance for an education. They'll bring them into these Buddhist temples, and they'll begin to train them. And I want to show you about a 30-second clip of a little worship service. Now, it's interesting to me because it reminds me like I'm watching a movie of the sound, kind of an evil, the low, the, the drum, the bass, the sound that you hear, kind of an evil. It's, it's the, uh, kind of the waking of the gods for them. I want you to see this. Do that little clip, if you would, of the Buddhist children learning this They bring these kids in and they train them. You can take that off now. Show that final picture of Buddha, just an up close, another close picture. Right? Buddha is about 500 million Buddhists in the world, well over a billion Hindus in the world. We went to Jain temples. Just pull up the next slide real quick. Just a beautiful temple. This is a, kind of a third religion there in India. This was my favorite place, the most beautiful of all the temples we went to. Not Hindu, not Buddhist, Jain. It's a totally separate religion. Muslim, is a, a, there, there are millions of Muslims in India. You may not know this, but there are probably 200 to 250 million Muslims in India. So Indonesia is the most of any country in the world than India. India's got more Muslims than a lot of the Middle Eastern countries combined. A lot of people don't know that. 
I'm showing you all this, not, not to bore you with a bunch of pictures, but just to remind you, you take that off now, go back to the main point, just to remind you that we, listen now, we live in a world where people are being led astray. You understand that? Was that me? Am I on? Okay. I don't want you to be led astray. Pay attention to me, okay? Ignore the microphone. Sounds. We live in a world where people are led astray. Now, here's what we do. Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm to take this and sit it right in your lap. You ready? We see these pictures, and we think, man, this is silly. How could they believe this? You walk in those temples, and they're doing strange things, and we wonder how people could be led astray. We wonder how so many people could have so many false idols, right? And then I come home, and I see the false idols of materialism and money and fame and wealth and job and status. And we don't have the little boxes in our house with the incense burning. But so many of us live our lives with those things as our idol, don't we? We, we probably wouldn't admit it, but a lot of us have been led astray from the teaching of Christ. The idea of taking up your cross, denying yourself, following Jesus sounds good to us. We say those things. We probably even believe them in our heart. But are we living our lives in such a way that we're following the true teachings of Christ? Or have we, as Jesus warns in Mark chapter 13, allowed ourselves to be led astray by the things of the world? And that's a question you ought to ask yourself. It's a question you ought to seriously consider. Because I believe if Western Christianity were honest, if we were honest with ourselves... We kind of set aside all the preachiness and all the things we think we ought to say, and we're gut-level honest. A lot of us would say, man, we've been led astray from the teachings of Christ. We claim Jesus as our Savior, but oftentimes we live as if the world is. Jesus says, listen, don't, don't get caught up in the end or what might be or what one day will happen. Right now, live so you're not being led astray. We need to kind of wake up to this. You say, great, that sounds good. How can I not be Led astray. Look at verse 9. Let's continue in Mark chapter 13. Jesus gives us some kind of clear indications of what we need to be doing and then kind of warnings of what will one day come. He says, be on your guard, verse 9. And if you're taking notes, you ought to underline that. Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. He's talking to his followers here. You will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Verse 10, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand with what you are to say. But say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, father and the father his child. The children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be Saved. Here's the second truth we need to see very clearly in Scripture. We need to be alert and watchful. Right, don't be led astray. Right, don't be led astray from the teachings of Christ. How do we do that? By being alert and watchful. Jesus says in verse 9, very simply, be on your guard. Now, I'm not going to read all these verses, but if you're taking notes, you can kind of circle these because Jesus talks about the idea of being alert and watchful in verses 5, 9, 23, 33, 35, and 37, all through that chapter. The disciples want to know when this is going to happen. Jesus, when is the end times coming? When is the temple going to be destroyed? Jesus, listen, don't worry about that. Don't be led astray, first of all. And secondly, be alert and be watchful. 
And then he gives them kind of this list of struggles that we're going to face as believers. Now, he's talking to the first century followers here. And the disciples went through all of these things. They struggled with all these things we're going to look at here in just a second. But I would say to you, we live in a time now where the idea of persecution of believers is ramping up. So just notice with me, if you would, what Jesus says in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Be on your guard. Why? Because they're going to deliver you over to councils. You're going to be beaten in synagogues. Verse 11. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious. Verse 12, brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Verse 13, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Right Over and over and over, Jesus kind of paints this picture. Listen, as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not going to be easy for you. Right? As a follower of Jesus Christ, there are struggles and trials that will come. Now, we're isolated from that in Western Christianity, right now at least. But if you want to understand the idea or the, 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 the importance of what's going on in the world as far as persecution goes and the struggles of believers, you don't have to look too far in other countries to realize there are lots of places all over the world where it's very, very dangerous to be a believer. Okay, there's a website you can go to if you're interested. It's called opendoorsusa.org. Opendoors, with an S, USA.org. And they've got the world watch list. Some of you are familiar with this. And they list the most dangerous countries in the world to be a believer. And you can go on that website and read about those countries and how they treat believers. And there's 50 countries listed now. I think North Korea is one. India has moved up to number 10, by the way. And they explain, listen, in these countries, it's very difficult to be a believer. In fact, some of these places you'll even be put to death if they find out you're a Christian. Now, this is not a, a made-up list. This isn't a movie. This isn't some fictional account. This is real-world events that are happening now. You understand that? Where believers are being persecuted because of their faith. Now, here's what we do. We see this, this idea of being alert and watchful and being on our guard and the struggles that believers are going to face. And we kind of think, listen, as, as believers in the Western world, at least we're kind of isolated from this right now. We're kind of in a bubble. This stuff may be going on in North Korea and India and China and, and, and parts of, of Africa and other places around the world, Middle East, but it's not happening in America. Well, I would say to you, if you kind of have your, your, your antennas up and you're really kind of paying attention, I believe persecution in the American churches begin to bubble up. That's what I think. And I've, I've done a good bit of reading about it. Like there are laws that are, that are being passed now. There are people now that think we should change rules about churches and how believers can interact with other people. And those kinds of things are bubbling, right? There, there's not a, a big movement yet, and there's not a lot of persecution yet, but I'm telling you it's coming. So you can go read this article. I'm going to give you this information, and I would just encourage you to go read it yourself. This is the date of the article. June the 16th, 2019, just a few days ago. Spokane, Washington. How many have heard, anybody, I'm just curious, how, who have heard about the pastor in Spokane, Washington? Three? Raise your hands, I'm serious, I want to know. Three people, anybody in the back? Good, all right. So this is the kind of stuff going on, right? So here's what happened in Spokane, Washington. At the public library, they were doing the Drag Queen Story Hour. This is true. And now the Drag Queen Story Hour is where men dress as ladies, they put on dresses, they show up to the public library. They gather a large group of children. They read them children's books. Sometimes they're sexually charged children's books. True. 
Now, this is not some fictional novel. This happened in Spokane, Washington last week. By the way, this drag queen story hour is a national movement. You may not know that. When I did our tension series a couple years ago and talked about this, I mentioned this to you. It's just kind of starting. I just picking up steam. So this pastor in Spokane, Washington, shows up at the public library in order to protest this group. I'm going to read from the article. A Baptist pastor was arrested and jailed on Saturday after refusing to move across the street from the Spokane, Washington Public Library while exercising his free speech against the drag queen story hour. He was, you can go watch his video. It's on Facebook. I watched the whole thing. He's standing in the parking lot, and the police officers tell him he can't stand there. And he says, this is a public parking lot. This is America, right? I should be able to stand in a public parking lot in the library, and they arrested him. Now, they let him go. He didn't stay in jail a long time, a couple of hours, right? And we kind of say, well, not a big deal. He's fine. Man, the fact that a pastor got arrested for protesting the drag queen hour, he said this to the police officers. It's fascinating. He said, hey, man, do you know what happened when I was a kid? If a group of men had dressed up as women, showed up at the library and read stories to children, they would be the ones being arrested. Now I'm being arrested. Man, we, we, we just keep taking it as believers. Right? Jesus says, listen, you need to be alert and watchful. You need to be on your guard. If you don't think the enemy is going to do everything he can to destroy Christianity in America, you've got your head in the sand. If you don't think he's going to do everything he can to destroy this church, to destroy your life, you've got your head in the sand. We need to wake up to this, right? This is first century stuff, Mark 13. The disciples are wanting to know about the end times and getting caught up in when and where and who and the, the Antichrist. And Jesus says, listen, stop worrying about all that. Nobody knows. Instead, just be alert. Wake up. Be active in your faith. Be growing in your faith. Pay attention to what's going on, right? Because the more and more this moves forward in America and the, the more and more we begin to see persecution, the more this kind of stuff is going to play itself out in our lives. Right? We, we, we could never imagine being delivered to councils and beaten because of Christ, right? But it will happen one day. We can never think about being brought to trial because we're a believer. We, we can never think about being hated because of the name of Christ. But man, it's coming. It's already here in parts of the world. It's slowly making its way here in America. We need to wake up. We need to be ready, right? And then he says a couple of interesting things here in verse 10. I want you to look at Mark 13, 10. And I'm, I'm kind of running low here, but I want you to see this. He kind of sandwiches this in, right? He kind of, kind of sticks this in. I think it's very interesting. He's talking about end times and being faithful and being alert. And he says the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations, right? It's kind of a reminder. Jesus says, listen, you need to worry about who you are. You don't need to be led astray. You need to be faithful. You need to be alert. But you need to remember there are people all over the world that don't yet know Jesus. You understand that? More so now than ever. And so as followers of Christ, we've kind of got this mindset, listen, I've got to be alert, I've got to be mindful, I've got to watch, I've got to grow in my faith, while at the same time, mindful that I've got to also proclaim Jesus to the nations. That would include the nation of America. <laughs> A lot of people say, man, I could never go to India or Africa. or Fine, that's okay. God's not calling you to those places perfect, but where is he calling you to? Like, How is he calling you to fulfill this in your life? Acts 1.8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. We, we can't say as believers, he hasn't called me to reach the nations. That's not what Scripture teaches. We can't say I don't have some sort of responsibility to share my faith. That's not what Scripture teaches. 
We can't say I'm going to isolate myself in the walls of this building and worship here, and then when I step outside the walls of the church, everything's going to be different. I'm not going to live for Christ. That's not what Scripture teaches. Jesus says, listen, be mindful, be alert, be ready. Understand that these times will come, and when they do, you need to be prepared for them. And one of the ways you're prepared for them is by sharing the gospel with anybody that will hear. Like if you were kind of grading yourself, what would your life look like when it comes to this sort of a passage of Scripture? Like I, I would never do this to you, but if I walked around the room right now and said, when's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? When's the last time you shared Christ with somebody? When's the last time you gave a real clear gospel presentation to somebody that you don't know, or maybe you do know that's not a believer? Jesus says, listen, we've got to be mindful of this. Now let's continue. Look down at verse 24. But in those days after the tribulation, right, and he's talking about end times, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give us light. By the way, I didn't get into this. I don't have time. But there's this sand. Mark uses the sandwich method again, right? So the destruction of the temple. Then it's the end times and the tribulation. Then he's back to the destruction of the temple. Then he's back to the end times. Okay, just so you can kind of understand what he's doing here. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will, give us, the moon will not give us light. The stars will be falling from heaven. The powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Verse 28, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender, puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. He's talking about the destruction of the temple right there. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. Verse 32. Here it is again. We started with it. We're going to end with it. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. Here's the third truth I want you to see. Make sure you're ready if it happens. Right, if Jesus comes tomorrow, here's what a lot of us do. Man, if I could just know the time and the place, I could be ready, I could prepare. Jesus says, listen, you need to live in a state of preparedness. You, you need to live in this perpetual state of being ready, being prepared, not being led astray, studying God's word, praying, trusting him, seeking him. Because when the difficulties come and the persecution comes and lots and lots and lots and lots of Christians fall away, you'll be ready because you've studied the word, you've girded yourself in prayer and faith in all who God is, and you've trusted him. And when the difficulty comes, you're ready. Jesus says, listen, let's be on guard. Let's watch out. Watch out. Let's be prepared. Let's endure hardships. They are coming, and when they do, you need to be ready. Are you ready? That's the question. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Again, it's very challenging, Lord. And as we sometimes get caught up in the, in the details of the second coming, Lord, or, or the end times, or Antichrist, you remind us, Father, don't worry about those things. Be prepared now. So, Father, I pray we'd all be alert. I pray we'd be watchful. I pray we wouldn't be led astray. I pray, Father, we'd reach out to the people around the world and right here in our city that need to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. And I pray you'd use us, Father, to accomplish great things for the sake of your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
You can stand. The altar is open. An opportunity for you to come and, and pray or accept Christ or join the church. You come as we sing together this morning. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning As I said, we've already sent a lot of teams out this summer, a team in Alaska right now. We've got a team going to New York City. Twelve of them are leaving middle week, uh, working with some uh, NAM, North American Mission Board, church planters in the heart of the city. They planted the church. How old is that church now? Six, seven years old? Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of you guys might have been before, but Nathan was. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.